This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Well may we say, God save the Queen, because nothing will save the Governor-General. You know I've searched my heart to prove There's better ways to push and pull Hey, whatever gets you through these days. Hello, and welcome to Well May We Say, a progressive podcast about Australian politics. This is episode 83 for Friday, 1st of March 2019. I'm Jeremy Sear, and each week I'll be joined by a different guest host to help me discuss what's just been happening to our country, what's likely to happen, and hopefully what we can do about it. Tonight's returning guest host is technically not a different guest host, guest host to last week. It's in fact the same guest host as last week. It's Denise Pierco, my wife. Hello. Hello. Welcome back. Thank Let, you. We actually have a bit of a theme this week. It's not just like a random connection of stories in the way that I've sort of cobbled them together as if they have a theme. And the theme is the uncomprehending rage that the right must be feeling right now as their schemes don't seem to be working. And there are two big ones here. One is their decision to go all in on George Pell rather than cutting their losses. Yes. And the other one is the f- mysterious and to them must be completely uh, bizarre and frankly difficult to believe, like the whole world has gone topsy-turvy, the fact that their scare campaign about boats doesn't seem to be working for them. So, George Pell, who we can now talk about because the suppression order was lifted, even though he was found guilty of these offences, five serious child sex offences... And I will just say really quickly that um, we will be discussing this case. So if uh, there'll be timestamps that Jeremy will put up. But if you do have issues, this first part of the podcast, while we won't discuss the charges in depth, um, we will be discussing Bolt and other things who do refer to them. And it and his bullshit, like his his arguments as to why victims should not be believed, essentially. But it may be difficult for some people to listen to. So you might want to check the timestamps out and skip past this part if this is something that you've reached your saturation point for or if you personally can't listen to. And then you can go to the second half of the podcast, which will be on the even more lighthearted scare campaigns about boats. Wait, hang on. Uh, look, let's let's keep in mind, though, the point of this and the, the underlying factor here is that these are both examples of where the right isn't succeeding. Yes. So it's not all doom and gloom. No. And part of the point of the podcast this week is to kind of discuss why do we think that is actually the case, that it's not working for them. So let's start with, let's start with Pell. So Pell, in December, he was found guilty of these serious offences. It was suppressed because there was another set of offences that were potentially going to be run. These are all really difficult cases to get up on because you've got to, of course, criminal justice is not it's not balance of probabilities, it's not do we reckon it happened, it's beyond reasonable doubt. Yes. The premise is that it is better than you know, ten guilty men go free than one innocent person be convicted. So the standard is very, very high. The fact that Pell has previously been accused of offences they, they haven't proceeded, is in the context where the bar is really really high. It's quite possible that these things could have happened Yes. and it's just not enough it's just really hard the evidence so many years later is just really hard to get over the threshold. And because Pell's been a powerful person for a long time, there's a lot of reasons why, even if something had happened, it may well never be punished for them. 
You also have to deal with the fact that often you're dealing with historical offenses. So you're dealing with situations where stuff happened quite a long time in the past. People's memories aren't perfect. So you can remember it happened or what day it happened, but you don't necessarily have perfect recall. You may, may or may not have witnesses. People may have... Almost certainly in these offenses, you don't have witnesses. Yes. Like most of these... One of the criticisms that... We'll play what Bolt's line yeah. is about it in a minute, but one of the criticisms is it's not... There's no corroboration. Well, of course there isn't because he committed it in a place where there wasn't... Another witness. But a lot of this feeds into similarities with with rape trials and cases of women who, why don't you prosecute? Why don't you go forward? It's a similar sort of situation. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Um, It's hard to prove the witness or the person it happened to is attacked on their credibility. They're treated as if they were somehow the offender, the perpetrator. So any sort of lack in memory, like any sort of imprecision that you don't remember is is really picked apart and it, it makes it very hard. Yes, and hopefully at this point we know a bit more about memory and the fact that there are inconsistencies in um, a victim's recollection of events, particularly a long time ago. Courts and lawyers and juries potentially are also aware that that doesn't necessarily mean... In fact, it makes that evidence more credible, really, because a coached bullshit piece of evidence is more likely to be entirely consistent because they you've constructed it Uh there's real evidence based on real human memory is more likely to have those little problems because of the way human memory works Works. yeah there of course i recall the uh the schooling that 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 the um victim of brett kavanagh gave to the congress as to who because she was happened to be an expert on on psychology and, and brain chemistry yeah and she explained to them why and how in great detail memory works and yes you are very clear about the attack, being pushed into the room. You say you don't know quite by whom, uh, but that it was Brett Kavanaugh that covered your mouth to prevent you from screaming, um, and then you escaped. How are you so sure that it was he? Uh, The same way that I'm sure that I'm talking to you right now. It's just basic memory functions um, and... Uh, also, just the level of norepinephrine and epinephrine in the brain that sort of, as you know, encodes that neurotransmitter, encodes memories into the hippocampus. And so the trauma-related experience then is kind of locked there, whereas other details kind of drift. So what you are telling us is this could not be a case of mistaken identity. Absolutely not. I mean, of course, Kavanaugh became a Supreme Court judge anyway because of the broken system that they have. However, so the Australian right have come out and instead of distancing themselves from Pell, they have tied themselves to him as he falls off that cliff and they have decided that they are going to go all in on the hope that he gets acquitted on the appeal. It's not even doubling down. It's like tripling down or quadrupling down. Like they have taken their entire bet and shoved the whole thing in. It's bizarre. So we have... Look, before we talk about uh, his friends like John Howard giving references and so forth, let's actually talk about the basis on which the Conservatives, and, and uh, as happens, Pell's very expensive lawyer. So the idea that George Pell hasn't had a fair day in court given th- his defence is supposed to be $50,000 a day, which incidentally is the amount that uh, victims of child sexual abuse at the Roman Catholic Church were uh, had payouts capped to... By, by George Pill. Interesting. So for all of their abuse, it was capped at the amount he's spending per day on the lawyers. So does that mean his... Well, could we cap what he's spending so he has to pay the rest back personally? Uh, well, obviously not, because it's not a... <laughs> because he's getting to do, getting to do it. But uh, that they're coming in hard and claiming that... Uh, the evidence isn't sound for various reasons. And I'm going to... There are 10 grounds, apparently, that they're running. And, they, and Andrew Bolt, on his program, listed them. So... 
let's play that line. Does that mean we have to play Andrew Bolt? It does, but I'm going to cut in after each of his stupid remarks, though. Okay. I just can't accept it, based on what I consider is the overwhelming evidence of this trial. And I base that opinion in part also on how many times George Pell has been accused of crimes and sins he clearly did not do. Okay, before we get any further on that, the fact that there wasn't enough beyond reasonable doubt this many years later does not mean he did not do them. It also seems to me that the number of times he's been accused, doesn't that doesn't that raise a red flag? Like, isn't that sort of thing? If, if these accusations were out of the blue and there had never been any other accusations before, even though those accusations were un- unable to get up and be seen all the way through, doesn't it make you think that maybe there is some truth to them, just on the very basis that they keep coming out of the woodwork? By they independent keep happening. people who are not connected. Yes. Yeah, well, Bolt, Bolt and who have thinks, nothing to gain. But, well, that, and that's a fundamental thing. Why This gentleman in question, why is he making... What's, what is their theory as to why he was making it up? And all they can come up with is he might be mistaken, although how you'd be mistaken about the archbishop doing it. Like, if it was just a random priest, maybe, hmm. but it's the archbishop. And it's, it's a witch hunt that's whipped it up. But why somebody would be listening to commentary? And this person, the witness is in a comfortable life now. They've held it it together, uh, unlike the one who is dead. Yes, Um, who it sounded like he's dead in part because of the trauma that extended from events like these in his life. Yes, and by the way, before I forget, um, I think it will come up later, but uh, if we're looking at reasons why somebody might not be able to do anything about it at the time, these boys were on scholarships to St Kevin's on the basis of being in the choir. Yes. So their entire schooling, if they... Both of them tried to then get out of the choir, uh, and if the, but their schooling was dependent on it. Yes. So they couldn't... They, Pell had picked victims who were entirely unable to stand up for themselves without massive um, problems. They're also children, and children... Um, one of the things that's happened in the uh, wake of this is the media has talked to a bunch of other children, people, who've been pro- people who were children and were abused um, by people in the church. Um, who've been protesting and, and such at the court. And they've all said, you know, we weren't believed. We were told we were bad kids. We yeah. were told that we were lying. We're told that we're making it up. In fact, the entire conservative response to Pell even being found guilty by a jury, mm. because nothing more conservative than tearing down the legal system, their response at this point demonstrates like how hard it is to be believed, oh. even, even, even at the earlier stages. But the other thing I'll just, just flag in relation to how Bolt has started this, that I don't accept this evidence. Let's be clear about how this works, because you have all of these people who were not in the courtroom, and at the moment they probably don't even have full transcripts, and they haven't read full transcripts of the evidence either. But say they had, say say people making these assertions as to how strong the evidence is, mm-hmm. and obviously Pell's lawyers have, and they'll be making their appeal on the basis of that evidence, because they'll, be, they'll have the transcripts of the, of, the day, of the evidence being given in court. But say you read those transcripts. That doesn't mean that you are in a better position than the jury to evaluate that evidence because that evidence is text on a page. It is not a witness in the witness box with all of the things that you can observe yes. about a person giving evidence. Only the jury and people who are in the room for all of that evidence can yep. have a, genu- a rational opinion about that evidence because they were there. Yes. Every other one of us, even if we read the transcript, which is in a level above what most of these people have, have done, even then we wouldn't be in a position to evaluate. We have a system that relies on, you have the 12 people who are sitting there watching the whole thing, hearing all the evidence, having the appropriate directions. That's yes. why we rely on them as being fined as a fact. Absolutely. 
It's not, they're not making an opinion about other external factors. They're not Pell's friends or his enemies. They're just 12 ordinary people who are objective. They, there is a jury selection process by which jury... And now, I know that Pell's lawyers are objecting to one of the jury... Or they're making an objection to the jury pool in some way, but we don't know what that is. Yes. But the, the jury came back unanimously finding um, that Pell was guilty of the crimes. And they had heard the evidence and Bolt did not. So let's be clear, like, when... When it does go up, up, upstairs, now, um, the Guardian's got a lawyer, Jeremy Gans, from the um, Faculty of Law at Melbourne University, who thinks that it's not uh, it's not rare for um, appeals to be upheld. And one of the grounds is that, that the jury could not, on the evidence that's there, have made a finding. But the courts are also conscious that, and this is the, the law on the subject, is they're conscious that they're not there to evaluate the jury. And then if you if you have courts coming in there and just overriding the jury based on what they read, then why have a jury system at all? Exactly. And they're conscious of that. Now, that doesn't mean that an appeal won't succeed, but um, I, su- I suspect that it's a bit of wishful thinking for the Australian to be out there having their legal affairs editor today writing an article declaring that um, he had these strong grounds of appeal. Yes. Like... They don't. What even citing you? They, they did, the Oz doesn't even bother finding a lawyer who'll back it up. They've just got their legal affairs editor writing an opinion, declaring that it's uh, it's a strong defence. Oh, oh, is it? Oh, oh okay. Um, the, the, the article's called "Strong Strategies to Take to Appeal for George Pell's Lawyers." Is it? Are they? Who are you to be making that assertion? Well, they're the Australian, and therefore they are the ex- experts on anything conservative within Australia. It's they're not they're not legal experts. Uh, they they really if you're going to write that you really need to back it up. But fundamentally, it's really unusual for this level of like they're really going hard on the propaganda, and it's really unusual for newspapers to be out there declaring trying to evaluate the strength of an appeal case mm. after a person's convicted of child sex offences. Like the level of desperation in how how hard they are trying to somehow get hell over the line anyway that so that, that's where bolt's coming from let's let's hear the actual what he thinks are these really strong holes in the case hell it seems to me could well be an innocent man who's been made to pay for the sins of his church and made to pay after an astonishing media campaign of vilification i find it very rich that andrew bolt of all people talks about a media campaign of vilification because he is one of the kings of media campaigns of vilification. He vilifies people all the time. He calls them to be fired and lose their, and like drummed out of society, basically. Generally, people of colour, that sort of... Hey, it's not like George Pell has ever committed the grave offence of suggesting that perhaps on Anzac Day when we're commemorating people who've suffered in war that maybe we should consider the refugees who have fled war that we're persecuting. Like, at least Pell didn't ever do anything as outrageous as oh, exactly. drawing attention to that. Like, I mean, he oh, would, God. clearly if he'd done that, he would have deserved to be you know, drummed out of the country. But yes. uh, he didn't do that, no. But again, we haven't got to the 10 reasons yet. Like, notice how he's taking a while to get there because he's just trying to fight, throw in all these things. So, okay, first thing is, just the evidence is unclear. But second thing is, it's a media campaign. The jurors were not making their decision on the evidence based on a media campaign no. outside the courtroom. They were basing it on the evidence in front of them. Yes. All right, so where are the holes in the evidence? You are asked to believe that George Pell... Sorry, let me interrupt. No, you're not asked to believe because you're not on the jury. 
You're not being asked to find in a court of law the fact that nothing is dependent on your personal belief. Our criminal justice system does not rely on every single member of the community coming to believe that a person's guilty and reaching a unanimous verdict. Mm. We, don't, we don't have a criminal justice system that's like, you are not guilty unless every person in Andrew Bolt's audience agrees with it. That's not actually the test. We don't? Surprisingly, no. Oh, that's man. not our criminal justice system. Oh, no. It's if everyone in, uh, in Allen's listenership is... Uh... Believes it again? No, no. We, no, we, Alan Jones no, is we, not actually the bar. It's, it's, the, it's the, the twelve jurors. Yeah. Oh. The George Pell in 1996 found these two 13-year-old choir boys in St Patrick's Cathedral's sacristy drinking altar wine just after a mass at which Pell had officiated. You were asked to believe that Pell forced one of the boys to give him moral sex and molested them both. Now, Bolt is going to list here entirely the 10 arguments of Pell's defence team. There's no analysis here. This is just entirely... Like, he might as well actually concede, and he should probably concede. I am now directly running the defence argument. <laughs> that is all I'm doing. I'm not an independent journalist. I am entirely a Pell defender running the argument that his barrister ran it in trial, which did not persuade the truth. First, one of the boys now dead actually denied he'd been abused when his mother asked. Again... There's plenty of reasons why victims of these crimes, particularly children, uh, do, are not immediately forthcoming about it. Yes, of course he denied it to his mother. That's actually a very common response to this kind of assault. Absolutely, especially when assaults happen, you also have a way of making it your fault, of pushing it out of your mind, of telling yourself that it didn't happen. You, There's lots of coping mechanisms that a person deals with, and saying someone's mother saying, did something happen to you? does not necessarily make you go, oh, yeah, absolutely, 100%. So, actually, what I might do, while we go through these 10, and, you know, huge trigger warnings, because this is basically, you know, pedophilia, um, assault, apologist nonsense going on that we're, we're assessing. But as so there's a point is exercise. Obviously, what Bolt's trying to do here, and obviously what the defence is trying to do, is to get these 10 things and sort of shove them together so that even though none of them stands up on their own, um, by the end, you know, incrementally it feels more and more like maybe there's a there should be a reasonable doubt. Yeah. So let's let's start off with let's let's at the end of each of these just give it an evaluation about how much this changes anything uh, on a scale of one to ten or a scale of naught to ten. How much do you reckon that claim that oh he didn't tell his mum therefore it didn't happen? What what how, how persuasive do you find that zero to ten? Zero. Mm, likewise, sorry. Let's so let's ignore ground one because it's ridiculous. He can run that in his audience, but it's it should have no weight in a court of law. That is a an it, idiotic submission and like you you could pretty much discount any historical sex offenses if you're going to go with well why didn't they report them immediately you might as well go back to biblical times of the whole hey look um if a woman's raped and it's in the town and it wasn't heard then clearly she she deserved it and they should both be stoned to death look Uh i didn't write the old testament i'm just saying that's the creepy shit that's in there Yes. But yeah, the idea that if you don't complain about it immediately, therefore it didn't happen. No, 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 no. That is a total misreading of why, how human beings react to these offences. All right. So we're at zero, zero out of ten so far, but let's, let's, let's see how we go. Maybe, maybe you can do better with ground two. Second, the other boy, whose identity remains secret, didn't speak of it for many years. Again, this is something that's very common. One of the things that was mentioned is, again, as Jerry mentioned, uh, being a scholarship boy yeah. at a school that their scholarship depended on. But also there is a lot of shame and a lot of embarrassment and there's a lot of, oh God, why did this happen to me and what did I do? What did I do to start this? Oh, um, remember how homophobic the Catholic Church is and certain and, and was even worse mm. uh, and how much it curls any pedophilia. It, it can, 
because if there's an adult male and a boy, that's pedophilia, not, not homosexuality. Mm. But because they're both the same gender, it calls it, it, it's it's next line of defence is actually see look the gays have infiltrated our church. If even when we are the most homophobic institution out there, it's really because of the gays. Like all, all the bad stuff is still the gays inside. They, they've just infiltrated us. So, in terms of the shape, like remember, this is a Catholic a Catholic school that he was attending, which will have been teaching the boys to that being gay is wrong and shameful. It's also teaching them that if you're involved in anything like this, it's wrong and shameful. So in addition to all of the power problems, the fact that mm-hmm. he won't be believed as the archbishop, apart from you know that he'll lose his position in the school if he, if, if he quits the choir. Um, yeah. Apart from all of that, there's also that everyone will think that... I mean, he's being accused... Sorry, he's being... He's, the complaint is that he was forced to fillet George Pell. How's that going to be perceived in a really homophobic boys' school? Especially, he, this man's just been made the archbishop. Like, yeah. So they're, they're going to a not believe him, but b also think that he want they'll, they'll accuse him of being like he would be. Can you imagine the internal? Absolutely vilified. Absolutely vilified. Big, of course, he didn't bloody in that time frame, in that environment, with that education and that background, he didn't come forward. Weird, that isn't it? It is. It really is. So um, again, again, not to ten of how persuasive you find that that argument. Um. You know, I'm going with the zero again. Yeah, weird. Okay, okay. That's only two, though. There's ten, so maybe it gets better. Third, this attack is meant to have happened straight after Mass, at a time when Pell traditionally joined the recessional, going out of the church, with the choir, with the attendants, with everyone. And then it was his custom to speak to the worshippers outside. That is a form of tendency evidence. What they're trying to say is that, that this is what his pattern was, and therefore it couldn't have happened on this day. But this is early on. That pattern may not have been established. This is also a matter that was obviously litigated in court. The defence made that argument. Mm. The jury didn't believe it. Now, we are not... I don't have the transcripts of the case. I imagine that what was pointed out was that that doesn't prove that didn't happen on that day. This might have been an exception. They yeah. might have been, who know, nobody is there. No, none of the defence witnesses were able to say on the particular day that this occurred, def, he was definitely... Oh, didn't break off or be by himself. Like They couldn't give that evidence because... It's a long time ago, and they don't know. We're also talking about a a time frame. We're talking about a time frame and a window in which this assault happened. And that isn't to say that 10 to 15 minutes didn't pass between the kids leaving the choir procession and getting into the sacristy and Pell coming back. Like, there's yeah, there's a window here. He could have gone out. He's the archbishop. He's not monitored 24 hours a day. Like, he's not monitored throughout that entire day when he's after church, after the Maybe service. he should have been. Well, he will be now. Yeah. Um, but, look... It is quite plausible that the archbishop might. What if he wants to go to the bathroom? He's not allowed to go away. Like, but who? There must be reasons that the archbishop can leave the. And but now we're just speculating. But the point yeah. is, they're speculating as well. They're, the entire defence line there is it couldn't have happened because he's never away. But that's that isn't a difficult thing to believe. And I and the jury is entitled to go. Yeah, no, he's the archbishop. I'm sure that on some occasion he could get away. Yes, and. He's a powerful person. Like nobody's going to be keeping tra- tabs well, on him and, and punishing him if he's not in a place they'd wait for him. He's the archbishop. He's not a cart on a track that's timed. That you know that yeah. it's like it's not like a cuckoo clock. Like it comes out at exactly this time. It stays out for exactly this many minutes and then it goes back in. It's he's a human with variables. Yeah, and he's very very powerful. Nobody is going around there keeping track of him. Like presumably they know roughly that he's somewhere in this area, but 
that doesn't mean that they're monitoring it. I'm sure Pell gets some privacy. I usually got to work between about 8.40 and 8.50 every morning, having stopped for a coffee at a certain cafe. That didn't mean that I got to work every single morning at that exact same time, having stopped at that exact same cafe. Things happened. My train was late. I was running late. Some days I was early. Some days I had to be at work at 7 a.m. to go do something. And if you were committing a serious offense like he did, you'd probably fudge around it a bit. Yeah. Yeah, look, that's better than the first two because there is... Well, it's still really, really weak. Maybe I'll give that one out of ten. I'll give it a one as well. Because if it were the case that that people were monitoring him, but they couldn't clearly... I mean, that evidence... They made that claim, and they had their witnesses who said, oh, it's impossible, but clearly they weren't believed, and the jury would have been able to observe them and see how credible they were when they were doing that. And if they were asked by the defence, you know, can you absolutely say that didn't happen? And they're like, oh, it absolutely could not have happened. Mm. And the jury might have looked at them and gone, no, I don't believe that that's true. I think you're saying that to defend your friend. And he could have gotten away, and nobody was keeping track of him, and you've got a massive incentive to help cover this up. You're from the institution that's being shamed by his conduct. Yeah, I don't believe that particular claim that you're making at this time. Yep. Perfectly open for them to not believe it. Fourth, this attack allegedly happened in the cathedral sacristy, which is normally a very busy room. People get changed there. It's a room where Pell would have known. People are almost certain to walk in. Because people in the Catholic Church have been so forthcoming about events that may have happened about other people who have uh, offended. Um, they haven't in any way participated in cover-ups. There hasn't been any sort of collusion amongst... Yeah. We can definitely trust that the Catholic Church, if they had found that George Pell committing a terrible crime, would definitely have reported on him, because that's the Catholic Church is famous for exposing people caught doing those things. I'd also like to say that having been a, a, an altar person, an altar girl in the Catholic Church... At a, at a church that could get busy, quite busy at times, so it wasn't obviously that busy. It all happens very quickly. Like, everyone gets in there, gets their vestments off, and gets moving out amazingly quickly yeah, post, presume, so the, post the service. Presumably if the boys were in there grabbing wine, they waited until people had gone. Exactly. Like they waited until they didn't... it was quiet. Because they, 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 they were caught back there doing, in a place they weren't supposed to be. Yeah. So presumably they went in there when people it was quiet. Were being quiet. Like, it's not... And presumably Pell also knew... Who was likely around? If he was, if he was planning on committing these offences, as the jury found that he was, presumably he knew where people were and that he was. He had a moment. He had a window in yep. which he could commit heinous offences and get away with it. Yep. And if he had found somebody, if so, if somebody did come in and catch him, he still got power over them all. Yeah. He probably reckoned he could shut them up. Yep. Even if he did get caught. I'm giving this one a big fat zero. Um. Yeah, because it's if anything, it shows the brazen nature of the offending that he he thought he that his attitude was I can just do what I like and mm. I, don't, I don't even have to commit these heinous offences behind of a closed quiet. door yeah I can I can get away with doing it because I have that much power yeah um, look there is something to it like the lo- the logic you know presumably there was a person who claimed that he um, that, that there was a lot of busyness in there um, and they just didn't accept that that was that they the thing is if the institution's coming back there and they want to protect Pell, then, they, then they'll say, yeah, no, it's always busy. But that doesn't mean it actually is 100% of the time. They're fudging it, because it's usually busy, but that doesn't mean there isn't a window in which mm-hmm. they, yeah. Um, no, I'd, I'd, I'll give that one one out of ten. It's pretty weak, though. Fifth, the boys had allegedly slipped away from the recessional to break into the sacristy. But none of the other choristers who gave evidence said they'd noticed them doing so or noticed them rejoining the choir later. They may not have rejoined the choir later because it was post-church. 
It was post the service. Or if they did, they would have, they're filled with shame because they'd just been forced to fellate somebody when they have intense internalized homophobia. Of course they would have tried to minimize it and sneak back in. And no, who remembers that time after church where nothing happened 20 years ago? Exactly. That doesn't mean nothing happened, but for all the other people, nothing happened. They didn't know. They weren't there. They wouldn't have a specific memory about it. And who is? And the other thing is, boys would constantly be going off to go to the bathroom and then coming back. There would have been people coming and going, and nothing would have been thought of it at all. What kind of witness from the choir would have been able to say, "No, I I remember the the late nineties, and there is no way that anybody ever left the processional ever one hundred percent of the time." If you show me evidence, video footage of somebody leaving that that you happen to have. I would literally shoot myself in the head because it's completely impossible. There, I, I bet my house on it. That yeah. they, I, I, there is no way you can have any evidence that that happened because I bet everything in my life on, on that that is impossible. That I, as a quiet person in the late 90s, as a kid, I, I was carefully noting everybody's comings and goings from the choir at all times. And I can say absolutely, look at my diary where I've been writing down every day. Oh, God, like, right. There, that evidence does not exist. And that was... No. That is a nonsense. Uh, yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I couldn't even tell you, again, going back to my own experience of being an altar person, I could not tell you which days I had other people doing it with me, which days I had to do it alone, which days there was three of us, which days there was two. Like, I couldn't tell you. No. It's ridiculous. Like, the two types of evidence are totally different. The person, person who is the person who's been the victim of an offence definitely it would stick in their memory. Some of the details don't because of the way that human memory works. The level of norepinephrine and epinephrine in the brain, that that neurotransmitter encodes memories into the hippocampus, and so the trauma-related experience then is kind of locked there, whereas other details kind of drift. Their memory can still be reliable that that a thing happened and the essential core details of it. Mm. The... Negative evidence, the evidence from other people who are simply saying, oh, nothing happened, I didn't notice anything, that doesn't overwhelm the evidence from the, from the victim because unless they've got like specific notes or specific duties to oversee something or they've got some specific reason why they would have been carefully taking note of anything would remember it 20 years later, their evidence that, that it didn't happen is not credible. Like if it's, It could easily have happened and they, quite honestly, thinking that it w- shouldn't have happened, wouldn't have happened, their mind might go, oh, it wouldn't have happened. That doesn't mean it didn't happen at all. Yeah, I can actually tell you that one mass on Easter weekend, one year, I was really excited because I got to carry the incense up the aisle in the processional. I don't remember if it was Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Saturday, Easter Sunday mass. I don't remember which year it was. I just remember that I got to carry the incense. That's how memory works. No, no, I've got some choristers who were, who were in the choir with you who are now giving evidence that they don't remember that day that you carried the incense, therefore it didn't happen. <sighs> Sixth. Hell was normally followed everywhere during and after Mass by the Master of Ceremonies, Monsignor Charles Putelli, who testified that he escorted Pell from the moment he arrived at the cathedral until the moment he left, and he declared the assault impossible. So when Pell had to go to the bathroom, did he go in and help him? <laughs> did, if Pell said, I'd, I'd like a few minutes uh, alone... Of quiet alone. reflection. Yeah. Like... That's ridiculous evidence. And from the very beginning, from the first time he met him, he followed Pell every day, 100% of the time, without fail. Also, again, going back to the previous one where we discussed the collusion within the church, etc., how much do we really trust this guy? Like, Well, I mean, that's the thing. Balzi's like, hey, evidence from church people has to be taken 100% at face value. You should believe what they claim. It's not like they have an incentive for making it up. And no one in the church has ever lied. No. But meanwhile, we should disbelieve the uh, victim who really doesn't have any motive for lying at all 
And if anything has a massive motives for keeping quiet about it, there's no reason for him to be giving us evidence. The, but the idea from the, the arrogance of these people who were not in the room who were like, all these Catholic people should be believed and the victim shouldn't be. Because what? Because they're on your side. That's horrible. And the, the idea that the jury is not allowed to believe the victim, believe one set of evidence over another. That's exactly what the jury's for, Andrew. Yes. Just because you don't agree with them because you have a different opinion about that evidence. They believed the wrong set of evidence. Yeah, well, if there's an inconsistency, so far, I'm not, the, the one that I'm believing is the person who's saying this offence happened yes. and this is why, uh, this is what I observed, as opposed to all of these people who are just giving really vague evidence of, uh, no, no, I, I definitely couldn't have happened, but they don't have notes. They don't, they're, their claim is frankly... Their claims don't have any credibility. No. Look, if this guy is saying... If he actually said in court that he can state clearly that 100% of the time that Pell was there, uh, he followed him everywhere, he, he stood outside the bathroom, he never let... You know, he, he made sure that Pell never had an opportunity to go to the sacristy where the choir boys were because, you know... He's a Catholic archbishop, so you've got to be careful. Did he ever do confession for anyone at the at the church? Like, would the master of ceremonies stood there while he was performing confession? Yeah, I don't. It, that seems anyway. We haven't heard the evidence, but um, look, if, if I can't see a way that that person could could give evidence that would be credible um, on the, that, that would rule out what the complainant mm. saying. Um, but look, if he made that claim, then you know it's at least a one. It's a one out of ten. Like there's yeah. you know, a person who's claiming it. Um, but I, I also doubt that it would have been so unequivocal. But anyway, I don't have the transcript. But even then, even if he was unequivocal, it's still really only one out of ten. Like that's not. Yeah. That's there, there is no reason why that needs, that should be believed over the complainant. If the and the jury and why an appeal should succeed, claiming that the jury couldn't have believed the complainant over that witness. Bloody oath, the jury could believe that. Believe the complainant over that witness. That's what they're there for. And that's what the they evidence. did. Like, <laughs> these cases have conflicting witnesses. The people whose job it is to pick who they believe is the jury. You don't get to say, clearly the jury is wrong because they pick the one I don't like. Mm. Otherwise, why have trials? Seventh, the boy who says he was attacked is now a man, said the door was open during this. Seven does seem to be a repeat of the sacristy thing about the busy open room, so that seems like a duplication. Um, I'm not sure, about, like, if anything... That seems like a, a base for believing that the witness is a credible witness. Mm. Why would why would if the boy if if the witness was making it up, he'd be like, no, the door was closed the whole time. Mm. Like the fact that the witness is like, no, no, that's how it happened. They if that's if anything that makes the, that witness more credible that they're mm. willing to concede something that seems problematic. But so the it door, also, it may, also... maybe the door. I, I don't know what the rest of the thing about about that point is because Bob yeah. hasn't given us what what the response was or because that sound, if the door opened it sounds like maybe somebody walked in in which case where's that witness but big deal maybe somebody did maybe it was another person who walked in caught them and was like shit i don't want any part of this i don't want to be blackballed out of the catholic church i'm going to bury it and never say anything to anybody like if that happened that's entirely consistent with everything we've learned about the yeah. catholic church from the royal commission um the door opening doesn't prove that it didn't happen if anything no. if anything that makes the witness more credible like, what's Bolt's argument? That if, if the door had opened, then obviously there'd be a witness who would definitely come forward because it's not like there's some giant power structures in place to silence somebody like that? Also, to me, it makes the crime worse. It, if anything, saying that the door was open makes the crime worse because, again, it talks about the brazen nature of it. It talks about the fact that he knew that no one would, would dob him in. 
Yeah. We're almost through. We have what three more to go? I don't. I don't think that's a persuasive one at all. I barely give it a one. If, if I were on the jury, and I'm, I'm not, and if I were on the jury and I didn't have any opinions about Pell, but I was just hearing that, I'd be like, well, hang on. What are you saying that that, that person definitely would have come forward, and if the if the victim twenty years later can't find that person, therefore it didn't happen? Mm. Like if. Am I supposed to pretend that I don't know anything about the Catholic Church and that there that I pretend that this is not a very powerful institution in which there are clear like you don't need to have any great special knowledge or to be watching the media coverage of Pell to be aware that the Catholic Church is a powerful institution and there is an obvious reason why a an eyewitness might disappear. Mm. That doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Okay, I'm gonna give it at most one out of ten. Oh, I'll do the same. Eighth. Hell during this alleged attack, oral sex was wearing heavy vestments reaching right down to his feet. And his accuser says he parted these robes, but evidence given at the trial was that these vestments cannot be parted. Obviously the robes are capable of Pell going to the bathroom or whatever. Pell knows how to get himself out of them. Uh. How exactly, whether he lifts up a bit and moves to the side... Obviously, this is a point that was litigated in front of the jury. The jury yep. considered that evidence. Obviously, the jury, are 12 people, Bol isn't asserting, I don't think, that they are biased uh, people who are out to convict Pell regardless of the evidence. Obviously, if that were a powerful point, then the jury would not have found him guilty. They would have gone, that's impossible. Uh-huh. Obviously, the jury considered that evidence and put it in context with what the victim had said. I don't know whether their conclusion was, because, again, we don't know the transcript, but um, maybe the victim... Uh, could have been wrong. He could have been. He lifted it up, and, he, and you know, many years later, he's forgotten the direct motion of it. He remembers him being forced to fillet the guy, but he forgets which way them. But clearly, Pell can get his bits out of the freaking robe so he can go to the toilet. Yeah, and from my own memory about them, is that the vestments have a combination of like the very under robe is usually snapped at the front, and the other ones over top are like dresses and gowns, so they go straight over. So it could be a combination of lifting and parting. Like there's all yeah. sorts of different things. Again, this is hardly a gotcha. Like, this is clearly a thing that was before yeah. the jury, and the jury would have been like, uh, no, we can... I mean, they, the, the, if the defence is resting on the robes, like, one of the grounds is that they were, they were prevented from doing some kind of weird video thing, but they ran the bloody argument, and they weren't... It wasn't accepted. And clearly, we've seen lots of abuse from priests who were wearing the robes. It's not, mm. clearly not impossible. Exactly. Look... At most, is it because there's an argument about how much the defence were allowed to run this to show the jury the bloody robe or something? Maybe two, but I don't think that's enough. That it's certainly not above fire, you know, that it's in impossible ground to find that yeah. we just don't accept that evidence. But anyway, uh, it's an awful lot that's resting on Pell's inability to get his penis out of his clothing. Yes. Ninth, not a single witness from what was a busy cathedral noticed a thing during the estimated ten minutes of this alleged attack. He keeps going back to this. Like, it does feel like a lot of these are actually repeating themselves. No choir boy noticed it. The master of ceremonies didn't notice it. No witness noticed it. There was an open door. The sacristy was busy. Like, these all seem to be the same thing. And, and he it... doesn't know that nobody noticed it. All he knows is that the prosecution and the, and the um, victim, 20 years later, couldn't find anyone who was willing to go and give evidence against Pell. Big effing deal. The, the absence of witnesses doesn't mean something doesn't happen. Yeah. You know, if, if a if a child meets a priest in the forest, that doesn't mean that child is safe. Yeah. Just because there's no independent witnesses. But yeah, okay, so there's a busy cathedral. Not in every bit at back areas where Pell knew where people were and who was likely to be around because he was the freaking archbishop. Mm. That doesn't mean there were people there. It also no, it also clearly has lots of power and people are reluctant to give evidence even if it happened at the time, let alone 20 years later. Yeah. 
even if this was being litigated at the time, it'd be hard to find witnesses. But 20 years later, it's almost impossible. Like, yes, people would have a massive incentive for going and burying it and trying not to think about it. And also, keep in mind, anybody who did witness it and didn't do anything about it for those reasons, by the time 20 years later comes up, if they want to give that evidence in court, they're opening themselves up to being people who witnessed an offence and Mm. sat on it for 20 years. Yep. So, yeah, hard to find those witnesses, people who are willing to throw themselves in rather than just continuing to bury it. Yep, absolutely. I'm with you on that one. Yeah, no, not persuasive at all. All right, and the last one. And tenth, there is no proven history or pattern of similar abuse by Pell. Allegations, but no proof. Unlike with, say, convicted church pedophiles like Gary Ridsdale, who raped or assaulted at least 65 children and thankfully is in jail. George Pell, in contrast, was 55 years old at the time of this alleged abuse and there's not one credible case of him abusing any other person at any other time. There is not one credible case, according to Bolt, but there are many allegations. And I also find it strange how he throws in that, you know, he's 55, as if that somehow ages him out of it. So, again, the, the test is beyond reasonable doubt. So the simple fact that there isn't enough to prosecute somebody on the very high bar, which, yes. keep in mind, the premise is it's better that 10 guilty men go free than one innocent man be convicted. The fact that um, there's not enough to get to the one, that one innocent person without risking guilt doesn't mean that they're not credible. doesn't mean that if it was a civil standard of balance of probabilities, he wouldn't be found, you know, they wouldn't be found to have committed those, those acts in that case. It was a civil case. The, the Bolt asserting that something's not credible, that an allegation is not credible unless it can get through the crucible of a criminal trial, that is not the test. The test of whether or not something proceeds to trial, let alone um, gets past the barriers of beyond reasonable doubt in a trial, isn't whether they're credible or not. It's whether they meet the much higher than credible standard. And I also think it's interesting that Bolt there picked Risdale as his example of a, of a, a serious repeat pedophile in the church, given that Pell was his bloody roommate, like of all, yeah. Um, and like, and covered up for him, attended him in court in support of him, like of all of the um, notorious pedophiles for Bolt to pick as the counterexample of Pell, he picked the one that was his roommate, yeah, or housemate. They lived in the house together over the time of the offending. Yeah, that that is an odd offence. And by the way, he has one other line that he comes up with too. It seems unbelievable to me that he would risk his brilliant career and his name on such a mad assault on two children in such a public place with an open door. Because, obviously, sexual assault is a rational thing. It's a totally rational decision that one sits there and weighs up the pros and cons. It's not about power. It's not about anything else. Oh, no. I mean, we know 100% of the time... The only people who commit these offences, the only pedophiles, are people who don't have powerful careers and don't have anything, who've got nothing to lose. They're the only people who commit these offences. Like, by definition, I mean, it should actually be a defence. It should be a complete defence to a, a charge that you've assaulted a child. So you should be able to say, of course I wouldn't, because it would have wrecked my career. So QED, I couldn't have done it. Yes. And again, it there's horrible implications in that, that only someone of... Um, that if you have a good job, you have good character. If yeah. you have... Uh, so basically, you have to be unemployed. You have to have a crappy job. You he, have to. He's just defined the criminal justice system basically as, yeah, no. He's a they... rich white man, so therefore he couldn't have done it. Couldn't have done it because of his career. Why would he risk his career for this? And it's like, yeah, as you say, because 
pedophiles, you know, they rationally think through the consequences of their offending. They're like, well, you know, I think this would be... I think the only real pedophiles are the ones who are like, yeah, no, I don't think this will hurt my career at all. I'll be fine. If he's not living in a van at the edge of the river, not able to, like, wash, then he's not actually a pedophile. It's just insane. Like, what a what a weird argument. So, yeah, um, as you were saying at the beginning, the fact that there are these previous charges, um, the way that Bolt somehow interprets that is because they couldn't succeed through the, go through this crucible, um, therefore they are they must be all false, and therefore it's just a, a witch hunt. In fact, one of one of his defenders, Father Brennan, who was one of the uh, people in Ruddock's religious freedom inquiries over London, keeps being put up for these these government um, investigations as if he's some kind of a social liberal. Is it has written this thing that's apparently mm. been sent out to all of the Catholic schools, defending Pell and saying, "Oh no, the evidence isn't that strong," and running these lines. And uh, there was another one that Lyle Shelton was linking to where some guy's like, Australia's justice system's on a trial because Pell didn't have to come back to Australia. He was in the Vatican where, the, where he couldn't be extradited. They couldn't bring him back. So the fact that he came back to Australia, you know, that proves he must be innocent. Why would a guilty man come back? I don't know, because otherwise he would have been a fugitive and he, his, his best chance of getting away would have been to somehow be acquitted. Yes. Um, and, he, and he was probably arrogant enough to think he would get away with it. All of the power structures were in his favor. He spent 50,000 a day on his lawyers. Like... Pell probably thought he could get away with it. I also think there's a lot of pressure from the church with everything that's happening right now for him to come back and face it and be acquitted. For him to get those lawyers and for that to happen. For him to hide out uh, forever at the Vatican would, was not a good look. Particularly not after Tim Mitchell's very catchy song. Protect the church's assets. I mean, with all due respect, dude, I think you're a scum. And I reckon you should come home, Cardinal Pell. We know you're not feeling well. Perhaps you just need some sun. It's lovely here, you should come home, you pompous buffoon. And I suggest do it soon. I hear the tolling of a bell. So the bloke that Lyle links to is a bloke named George Weigel, um, who says, Cotton Appell and I have been friends for over 50 years, uh, and he's, he's appalled by the cases that have been run against Pell. And he says, If it is not reversed on appeal, that false verdict will constitute a new indictment, the indictment of a legal system that could not bring itself to render justice in the face of public hysteria, political vendetta, and media aggression, uh-huh. which means that Australia, or at least the state of Victoria, where this travesty is played out, is a place where no one is safe, citizen or visitor. <laughs> This, this guy's writing from Washington, D.C. His, his campaign about the, the Victorian criminal justice system, like, if you're an American, a country where people are executed who are later proven through DNA evidence to have been completely innocent. Or um, people I, who have, are put on the Supreme Court who are pretty much proven to be sexual offenders. Well, there's very strong evidence that he did that. The, the Innocence Project that, that looks into people who have been executed or people who are oh, on death row. Like, they find the DNA that shows that the offender was someone totally different after well, the person's been executed. I don't think George Weigel uh, is on the Innocence Project or has done anything to campaign against the innocent people being convicted in, the, in America. But, or something like the 10,000 rape kits that are just sitting in, in like yeah. storage not being processed. Like, there's all sorts of things. The system there is horrific. And George Powell 
the, the idea that uh, th- you know, there are definitely flaws in the Australian criminal justice system, but it's more on the basis of uh, poor, unprivileged people being uh, shoved, forced to plead up to things because they, they don't have the money to defend themselves and legal aid is extremely limited, as opposed to having $50,000 a day for their, the, the top criminal barrister um, that they can find. Um, and one Rob, of the top criminal barristers in the country. Yes. Rob Richard QC has, in fact, now apologised for, uh, for, for using the expression uh, that it was, it was a vanilla um, case. And what, so after Pell was found guilty, uh, what then happens is they have a sentencing submission. Now, obviously, they had flagged that they were going to appeal it, and their argument is that he's not guilty at all. Uh, that said, you still have to make a submission that is, if he were guilty, this would be the appropriate punishment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Richter was arguing that, that there were no... Uh, particular aggravating factors, um, like that he had assaulted, that he had a prior criminal record for these sorts of offences. Yes. So, so it's like, here is the average version of this offence for which he's been found guilty now. He was saying it's not worse or better than the average for that offence. So the yes. baseline is somebody who's done something horrific who should go to jail, but he was saying it's not worse than the average or or better than the average of the person who should go to, in terms of, and so he should get you know that the sentence on the middle. That said, though... Um, I would have thought the fact that he has all this power over the victims yes. and so forth should be a fairly aggravating factor. Um, and Which is probably that... one of the arguments that was made mm. by the prosecutors. But yes, describing, when he was saying vanilla, that's what he meant. But uh, that was, it was extremely a unfortunate. Yeah, he has now, uh, now apologised for that. Um, but Bolt isn't the only person on the right who's been doubling down. He's not the only person who's been defending Pell. No, he, got, he got references from a number of people. Um, now, this next one... I'm going to get you to read some excerpt from it. Uh, I don't know which is the worst example of misjudgment. Um, the person writing this reference or George Pell's lawyers using a reference from this person. Which of those is the, is the worst misjudgment? The reference in question is written by former Australian Prime Minister John Winston Howard. I am aware he has been convicted of these charges, that an appeal against the conviction has been lodged and that he maintains his innocence in respect of these charges. None of these matters alter my opinion of the Cardinal. Cardinal Pell is a person of both high intelligence and exemplary character. Strength and sincerity have always been features of his personality. I have always found him to be lacking in hypocrisy and cant. In his chosen vocation, he has frequently displayed much courage and held to his values and beliefs, irrespective of the prevailing wisdom of the time. Right. Which is, of course, the basis of why, why they're fighting for him. It's, yes. And, and Bolt at the start of this is like, well, I'm not, a, I'm not a Christian, so you know, I don't have any, any vested interest in this game. Yeah, My- of course he does, because Pell was one of the biggest culture war- warriors for the far right. Absolutely. And my final thing is, the, the final line from this that I want to read, which is the one that I find most interesting. Cardinal Pell is a lively conversationalist who maintains a deep and objective interest in contemporary social and political issues. Oh, he's a lively conversationalist. He couldn't have done it. Uh, look, sure, uh, he has been found guilty of committing a heinous offence, but... Do you really think that a, a lively conversationalist should spend the full amount of time in prison? Like, they might lose some of their, their trademark bonhomie and, and gentle wit. <laughs> they might be more depressing at parties. Yeah, I love the idea that, he, that, that what he's done doesn't alter Howard's opinion of him. Oh. And uh, Howard would say, I'm, I, I, I've done this, and he, he doesn't say that he's guilty of that. He's like, I don't, he's, he's appealing. And it doesn't alter my because Howard's basically saying I don't think he did it. Yeah. So, insofar as the weight that should be given to that reference, like 
you couldn't put much weight on it because it's based on the assumption that he hasn't committed these heinous offences. Well, and Tony Abbott went on radio basically defending him as well. Ray Hadley exorated both of them, of all people. Like, if Ray Hadley's exorating him, right, exorating him for, for being too much in, in league with somebody on the right, I mean, yeah. John Howard, despite my admiration for him over a long period of time, I think he went way over the top in providing the reference for George Pell. Uh, there's no mention of any victims in Mr Howard's reference. And I think that doesn't bring any great credit to the former Prime Minister. Both Mr Howard and Mr Abbott, in my opinion, have shown a complete lack of understanding of victims of pedophiles. Um, But the one that gets me is that Scott Morrison has come out and said that if the appeal... Yeah, they give them the benefit of the doubt till the appeal is is either successful or fails. Look, we'll strip him of his honours and the Order of Australia only if the appeal goes through. Like, only if the appeal isn't successful. Yeah. Like so he has been found guilty of these charges. He's been found guilty of them since December. Well, I suppose he's saying well, but if it's, if he shouldn't have been found guilty and if the appeal finds that so then what he he's be, be punished. What he's basically saying is we is I believe him. I believe that yeah. he hasn't done it and yeah. I don't want to strip him of these honors. So therefore I'm not going to and I'm going to wait as long as possible. Yep. Yep. Well, you know, if 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 the right who have now doubled down hard on this are successful and somehow he does get up on on appeal although those do not seem to me to be very strong grounds. But say say he's lucky. Like I mean, he's Pell's got nothing to lose. Of course he's appealing. Like, what's he got to lose? Yes. The people who are tying themselves to him do have a lot to lose because um, if he, assuming he loses the appeal, what's Bolt then going to say? Yep. Was he's tied himself up? And back to the theme of the podcast, which is the right tying themselves to things, because we'll segue back into the into the the boats one as well. It's an interesting fight for them to be picking, because as as Bolt notes, like vast majority of Australians are fairly convinced that Pell did it, yeah, and uh, not sympathetic to people who are covering up for of all offences, child sex abusers. Like, well, it's an interesting. They are tying themselves to somebody with whom the Australian public has no sympathy whatsoever, and it is taking them. If you looked at the Herald Sun Facebook page, um, which is something I, I try not to do very often because the people commenting on it make my blood boil and my brain hurt, the link to the article where Bolt defends him, his, his, his initial opinion piece, 99.8% of the comments are, what the hell, mate? Yeah. Like, they're, they are anti this piece. They are... No, he's guilty. You have the 0.02% who are like, thank you, Bolt, for speaking up about, you know, and but they are not the majority. In fact, they're not even the minority. They're this tiny offshoot. They're this weird errata yeah. on the side. It is every single person coming there is like, no, man, you've gone too far. This is yeah. wrong. This, yeah. is, this, is, this is not right. They are alienating their supporters. Yeah. Um, which is great. I, I think that this is fantastic and that he's going to take them down with him. Miranda Devine also came out in support of him. She's still backing him. Yeah, so more terrible people to come down with him. And and as for Howard's reference, uh, I didn't end up playing this a few weeks ago when I first grabbed the audio, but uh, one of the things that, that was happening in the New South Wales state election is that the Liberals had wheeled out John Howard. Some breaking news now, and former Prime Minister John Howard has just told Seven News he'll be personally kicking off the Liberals' New South Wales election campaign. He has just confirmed reports he'll attempt to steer Premier Gladys Berejiklian's campaign to victory in an exclusive interview a short time ago. I am a very strong supporter of the Premier. I think she's doing an excellent job and I will do anything I am asked by the Liberal Party, either state or federal, to help 
them be re-elected because I think it's in the interests of both New South Wales and Australia that both of the current governments are re-elected. I think currently what the Liberal Party is going to ask him is to stay the fuck home. <laughs> exactly. I mean, look, for some reason, I think that Gladys won't want to be associated with, won't, won't value so highly the praise of a man who just was praising George Pell after he was found guilty of these offences. Yeah. Funny that. I, I feel like he's not as valuable now. And the thing is, with the Pell thing, it's an example that the Liberals have forgotten how to pick the battleground they want to fight on. The, the Pell thing is now tainting all of them because they're apparently fighting on a side about a person found guilty of child sex offences and they're on that side. Like, it would make total sense if this were a friend of the Labor Party that they would want to constantly be talking about Pell. Uh-huh. They, would want it, they, would, they would want it to be... They want, would want the Labor Party defending it and then they would want to make that a big issue and they want to talk constantly about that until the election. But instead, they're on the side of the, the child abuser in this case, which is a weird pick for them. Then again... In the case where they have, they do think they've got a winner on the whole topic. So regardless of what side, they just feel that talking about this topic will get people thinking in a way that is positive for them, and that is boats. And obviously, what we saw in the last, what we've seen in the last few weeks, is the coalition thinking they're finally on a winner because they can just scream that the minor change of instead of when people need medical care on Narrow and Manus, they're having to go through the painful, very slow legal process uh, of where. They're, by the time they get to Australia, the damage is even worse, which has been happening, and people have been coming, and people have been coming for that medical treatment. It's just been through this painful process, and instead having it based on the medical need. Um, And they're screaming that that means that the borders are destroyed, and they're screaming to Indonesia, the borders are weaker now, don't send any boats with these weak borders. And yet, what we found out this week, from this week's news poll, 53-47 in Labor's favour, it's not working for them. Denise, yep. why do you think this isn't working for them? Well, what exactly have they been saying and claiming? I want to know exactly what they've been trying to get by us. Well, this week, uh, they've got their the last four kids, supposedly. And when we say they're, <laughs> they're off Nauru, the government has been really fudgy about this and they've cha- claimed they've had all the children off Nauru before. But, okay, let's say that these four children have, in fact, now gone. I do note that the department is sending a bill for the flights to the refugees when they get to America of up to $12,000, which is pretty kind. But, yes, this is Dutton uh, announcing that, trying to take credit for the fact that after they've been in government for, what, almost six years, uh, they've finally taken some of the children that they've been imprisoning for up to six years on narrow. Well, good thing. It, it, it takes a while to process these things with all the paperwork and six stuff. Six years. God, so Evil horrible. bastard. Anyway, here, here he is uh, trying, to, trying to get some capital out of this. Labor put uh, 8,000 children into detention. Uh, Scott Morrison, myself, uh, David Coleman, we've all done our best uh, to get every child out of detention. No, you haven't done your best to get them out of detention because one of the things you could have done is Get them out of detention. You're the only people holding them there. Yeah, they keep going back to the, well, Labor put 8,000 children in detention. Like, that number... Which, which to be fair, sod Labor, Labor for doing that. Labor, Labor, And this is another reason why Labor playing the coalition's game on boats makes it easy for them, because they can turn around and go, look, that evil shit's happened. That's not us. Exactly. However, they then spent six years enforcing that policy and making that policy worse, actually. If anything, they've been... Uh, much harsher. They've, they've continued yeah. to crack down on the people in Manus and Nauru and treat them like criminals, not like refugees. Yeah. I, I love the idea that they've done everything in their power. Like, you're the minister. 
They were forced. They were forced by um, opposition. They were forced by social media campaigns. They were forced by public awareness. They were forced by the fact that... Uh, oh, to eventually let them out. Yeah, yeah. Like they, they didn't just do this out of the goodness of their hearts. In fact, he went kicking and screaming the entire way to it. Yeah, and every time they've fought for a child to be moved to the... You know, even get treatment, they've, they've forced it all the way through. Anyway, he goes on. And I'm very proud of the fact that we've been able to achieve that and to do it in a way where we haven't got new boat arrivals. Just to, just to remind everybody that they say that they're concerned about people drowning at sea, but what they're really concerned about is people getting here safely. The drowning at sea thing is a, is a bullshit furphy that's got nothing to do with the problem. No. It's, it's a, a convenient excuse that they came up with in, what, 2010. If they were concerned with people drowning at sea, they wouldn't uh, stop the boats and drag them back out. They would, you know, let, as you say, let them come here by air. Yeah. We certainly wouldn't drag boats back out to sea. I love, I love the line that we only do it where it's safe to do so. Well, what Hang do you on. do the rest what? of the time? Yeah. So where do those other boats go? Because boats are arriving. You said mm. you had to admit and send estimates that they were arriving. So it's just convenient that one hundred percent of them are apparently safe to be dragged back out to sea. Mm. That's lucky. It is. Look, they're not dangerous vessels anymore. One hundred percent of them were say were seaworthy and happy to be sent back out to sea. So I don't know why you're so worried about them drowning when the boats are so all of them are so safe Absolutely. they can be dragged back out to sea. Hmm. Yeah, that's what's going to happen if Labor's elected at the election. Uh, Mr. Shorten's bill, which uh, it's not about uh, Medivac, it's about bringing people here from Manus and Nauru. A, it's not Bill Shorten's bill, it's Karen Phelps' bill. Uh, B, uh, it's specifically about bringing people bringing here for Medivac and it's specifically about bringing them back. They're supposed to go back once they're treated, they're, they're well. So it's in no way Labor is letting them stay here. He's entirely Medivac and then back. Yeah. Hey, that could be the tagline, Medivac and back. That's pretty much the policy. Yeah, but... Fact, yeah, yeah. You're better at branding than Labor is. But yes, Medivac and Back would have been a perfectly safe line for them. It rhymes! Goodness gracious! How did they not come up with that? Medivac and Back. That is that is their policy. I think it's a shit policy. I think it, it should is be an absolutely Medivac horrible policy. And look after these people in Australia as, as our obligation under the Refugee Convention. But anyway, I'm, I'm not behind Medivac and Back. But that is their policy. Yes. Uh, the Australian public's been conned, and we're seeing it through videos uh, that have gone up uh, just in the last 24 hours. Uh, this is a con. Uh, I think they should be really careful talking about cons, uh, <laughs> given that every part of their border security theatre is based on a bunch of cons, one of them being that they care about people's lives while they're dragging them back out to sea. Yeah. The other one being that they literally stop the boats. That is their line. It isn't true. No, it's really not. In fact, this morning, so we had a bit of a pause in our recording, that's now Sunday, uh, but this morning... Scott Morrison was out there uh, making a, a couple of really revealing remarks, and only one of them was the bit where he uh, inadvertently revealed that he thinks of the ALP as actually the current government that is up for re-election. Which is hilarious. Which explains their entire campaign, which is all about Labor. Uh, but secondly, he, for a person who's trying to claim that it's uh, you know we should be able to trust absolutely, despite the fact that they hide behind you know, on water matters and so forth, that they have definitely stopped the boats. He added a special word in when he's talking about how it would be under Labor, which I feel um, probably should spread a bit further, and it's probably ah. revealing about their version. Bill Shorten can't tell you who his Home Affairs Minister will be. We still don't know. Who will be apparently stopping the boats if Bill Shorten is the Prime Minister? And because there's so much confusion about that, we don't even know if Richard Miles will be the defence minister if Bill Shorten is re-elected, because is elected, I should say, because... 
Re-elected. Bill Shorten is re-elected. But the one, the one who stuck in there was that the Department of Home Affairs is about apparently stopping the votes. I enjoy that as well. Yeah, because that that is all they've done. They've and it really should have been on his little plaque on his desk. That I apparently stopped these because because they didn't. It's just apparently that he did it. If you only listen to the commercial media and in fact the ABC. Uh, all the hack organisations that repeat the dumb lie that they stopped the boats. Uh, and when they talk about the drownings, that implies they stopped them coming, but all they actually mean is they stopped them getting here safely. Yeah. Uh, they fudge that. But yeah, the uh, Department of Home Affairs, uh, apparently stopping the boats. That's, that, that word apparently covers a lot. Anyway, back to Dutton. It's also going to mean that people who need medical services in Australia are going to be displaced from those services because if you bring hundreds and hundreds of people from Nauru and Manus uh, down to our, our country, uh, they are going to go into the health network. Let's be very frank about it. So there's an enormous cost to the program uh, that Mr Shorten has put in place. So the hospital thing is the idea that the Australian medical system can't deal with a couple of hundred extra people suddenly needing assistance. As if, as if our population doesn't grow by that much every you know week or so. And to reference Karen Phelps again, she's actually said there's currently about 70 people who would be considered in critical care. And while that number could continue to grow, that 70 people shouldn't break the system. No, our system, given the rate of Australian population growth, should be well able to deal with a couple of hundred extra people. That should not break anything. And if he um, is saying that, he, that after six years of the Libs, that the medical system is in that dire situation, again, that's something... That's an indictment on him and his government rather than an indictment on our medical system. It's what they've done to our medical system. Yeah. Uh, now, in this interview, he also um, starts throwing out the appalling number, amount of money that they spend on this offshore detention. Uh, but I, I just say this to the Australian public. People should be very angry uh, because this comes at a cost of hundreds of millions of dollars. If you're accommodating people off Nauru and Manus in hotels in Melbourne, Sydney or Brisbane, uh, it comes at a significant cost because you've got guards who are associated with that You've got transport costs, obviously hotel rooms, but that's what happened when Mr Rudd and Ms Gillard were in government and that's the reality of having people here from Manus and Nauru. Uh, let's be very frank about it. That is extraordinary. Like, he is 100% right that it is extraordinarily expensive, this processing, uh, offshore yeah. processing system. But there's an obvious solution to that and it's not let's torture refugees more and bully them into staying overseas. It's don't do that when they arrive, process them at the airport. Yes. Do not... Do this horrible thing that's designed to break them. Don't be paying, you know, Nauru $50,000, uh, what is it, a year per, per refugee per, for these bullshit visas. Don't be paying for all the, the ridiculous security theatre. He, he has a go, because Channel 7's been found, um, there's a sort of a hotel in, uh, where people were staying who they were given notice by the hotel because they could make more money from the department, putting, people for, putting the people who are temporarily here uh, in there. And they're trying to be like, well, see, if, if we weren't giving these refugees appropriate uh, care in Australia, then these people wouldn't be kicked out of their homes. Yeah. At one apartment in particular, residents were given eviction notices, giving them five days' notice to leave. Do you think that's fair on people who have been living there for years? No, I don't. And this is why I think people should be angry about uh, the situation that Mr Shorten's created. Uh, I don't want to see Australians who are in waiting lines at public hospitals kicked off those waiting lines because people off Nauru and Manus are now going to access those health services. I don't want to see Australians who are on waiting lists for housing or already occupying housing being kicked out of that housing uh, because of people arriving off Manus and Nauru. It's not fair. 
that's, again, part of this ridiculous idea that we have to be treating them like prisoners. Well, that is exactly it. The fact that we need to find these places where they can actually be secured and locked in, where they do have kitchen facilities, because, again, they're locked in, so they need a place that has a place where they can cook and clean and do all that sort of As stuff. As opposed to letting them However, stay in the community. exactly. They could stay in the community. A lot of people do actually currently have family members or other people here. That it, there is a larger yeah. community, but no, they have to stand or under guard, and that's a decision that Home Affairs has made, and now they're turning that around and blaming it on well, everyone like, else? It's like they're coming in. They're deliberately making it as expensive as possible, as inconvenient to people around as possible. They're making it as messy and awkward and bad. It's almost like the conservative thing about government. Government's shit. Government can't do things. So they get into government and they make it shit. Like, ah. see, it proves our point. No, you're just bad at it. Yes, they are so bad at it. Yes. The, the treating refugees humanely doesn't have to be that expensive. There are a lot of things that we could what? do that would make it vastly cheaper what? and also much nicer to them. The amount of money... When they... Oh, God, my crikey's got broken this week. They've got, Bernard Keane, I didn't realise he'd gone to the, to the far right, but anyway, um, they're arguing that, you know, the Liberals aren't so harsh on, on Social Security because look at all the money they spend. But it doesn't go to the people who are... It's going to these dodgy contractors. It doesn't go to actually assisting people. It like, really They're doesn't. really good at spending money and throwing money and then saying, <sighs> look, sorry, we can't do these things because of all the money we have to spend on refugees. But they're not giving, they're not providing service to the refugees. They're spending it persecuting the refugees. You could spend a lot less not persecuting them. That seems like a very simple solution, probably simplistic. You probably don't understand how complicated it is, Jeremy. Oh, it's so infuriating. Uh, Have you had the uh, security briefing? Morrison came in. This is obviously kept hanging around their necks for the rest of the week because it's such a ridiculous uh, line. Here's Christina Keneally getting stuck in. If Peter Dutton and Scott Morrison want to claim that Australians are on waiting lists for elective surgery or unable to get the care they need because of refugees getting treatment, that is just fear-mongering. What they need to acknowledge is if Australians are on waiting lists, it's because they, because. The Liberals have cut hospital funding, they have frozen Medicare rebates, they have presided over the decimation of the health system. Absolutely, they absolutely have. And they keep doing these things that force people to private insurance, force people to private medical services. Yeah, they, they just do things that cruelly cut apart our medical system. And then they use that uh-huh. to try and play off the people who should be angry with them against the other people they're persecuting. So basically, there's... Whenever they're being called out for their cruel treatment of Group A, they find Group B, who they've also treated cruelly, in this case, poor Australians, yeah. they're like, you know who you should be really angry about? Group A. Yes. Not us, the people who are persecuting both of you. Although it doesn't seem to be working that well for them. This is the Herald Sun's political editor uh, on Sky. Government's uh, undertaking a bit of overreach, it seems, again, on the issue of the medical evacuation legislation. Yeah, I mean... I mean, I don't know. I don't know what your instinctive response to this is. I mean, my instinctive response is that's pretty distasteful stuff uh, to be scaring people, you know, you're not going to get your hip replacement because some refo's got it. Uh, I mean, that's pretty... Or kicked out of your house. Or kicked out of your house. I mean, it's... I, I don't know. Like, yes, you, you, I mean, the, the, things can be technically correct, I suppose, without... But at the same time... If you take them to their extreme, they sort of sound ridiculous. I mean, the thing that this reminded me a bit of was Malcolm Fraser in 1983 saying, you know, you'll be better off with your your money under the bed if Labor gets elected. Um, It just draws attention to how desperate they are. Uh, And, you know, it's it's a sort of a one-note tune from them at the moment. Um, 
I'm not... They've also got, I suspect, all the votes that they're going to get out of this space. Um, and the more they go on like this, the more they look sort of just... It's a bit... Just a bit seedy is the way I, I, I would describe it. Now, I'm not a huge fan of the Herald Sun or James Campbell, and that obviously wasn't the most eloquent uh, way of putting it, but I think he's right in the sense that they're kind of at the maximum of the people who this is going to appeal to, who are the rusted-ons who weren't the ones that they were losing. Absolutely. And I think, if anything, the more... And he does make the point, if anything, the more they go on about it, the more that there are some people who are a bit borderline on this issue who are getting pushed away from it. And even though it's not working for them, since it's the thing that this particular Prime Minister is most closely associated with, he isn't letting it go. Here he is this week backing up Dutton's bullshit. There are still about 1,000 adults there in Nauru and Manus Island. The US resettlement program won't cater for all of them. What happens to them? Are they just going to be left indefinitely on Nauru and Manus? Well, in both countries where they've been found are re-refugees, they're living in countries that have signed the Refugee Convention. So the that's the plan, convention. they just stay on Nauru and Manus? Well, that, that is exactly what Labor set out when they announced that they were going there in the first place, that they said they'd never be resettled in Australia. So that is so our we, government, so we, the Australian have, government's plan? I haven't changed the policy on that. And the Labor Party have sought to change it by effectively abolishing offshore processing by what they did in the Parliament and to provide a loophole to allow people to come to Australia from both of those countries um, simply for the purpose of the medical assessment, which they can get quite ably on Manus and Nauru, particularly Nauru, where there's 60 medical professionals. Well, just on that. One for every seven people. Just on that, and you know there's a, hundreds of doctors who argue with you on that, but your Minister Peter Dutton this week has warned that Australians will be kicked off waiting lists for hospitals and public housing by an influx of transferees under that legislation. There's so far only about 70 refugees and asylum seekers requiring medical evacuation. Even if that number was in the hundreds, given they're going to Christmas Island, not the mainland, isn't it just scaremongering from your minister? Well, no, no, well, the Christmas Island and if someone needs, this is what currently happens, if someone needs very serious medical attention, they've always been getting it. They've always been brought to Australia for it. And they've either come, and some of them have gone to Port Moresby, some of them have gone to Taiwan. And 900 have come to, to Australia and that, that hasn't seemed to undermine the border protection policy. Well, we didn't change the border po protection policy. What, what Labor did in the Parliament was change the policy and the setting. Isn't it scaremongering to say this will no, kick people not, off friend. the public that's waiting just, list? No, no, it's not, friend. It's just a simple fact. If we've got to treat more people in Australia, then obviously they're going to take the place of people who are getting that treatment anyway. It's just simple math. So many things there. Like I got In relation to his claim that there are the medical facilities on Nauru, I just want to, you know, I think Peter, Peter Dutton said it best. Uh, the Australian public's been conned, and this is a con. We also know in terms of the, the ability to be diagnosed, like the Nauru medical establishment is run by the, is, is under the um, direction of the president's daughter. Yes. They have a massive incentive to make sure that people are not leaving, and they've just shut down the ability of uh, any external medical providers to even communicate, provide medical um, services uh, over telecommunications. In fact, they've shut down anyone assisting or being thought to assist someone doing using telemedicine is also culpable and chargeable. Yeah. Um, and in addition to that, I, I also know, like, he's so much, you can see this really easily. All of this border security nonsense and all this stop the boats crap is based on a bunch of talking really fast, shouting a lot of things, and hoping nobody notices. Mm. Um, Morrison, for example, just then just said, we didn't change the policy settings. Everything that's happened has been Labor's policy. So, all right, well, then you didn't stop the boats. Labor did. If you're saying you've been running exactly the same policy and you've stopped the boats, then and you haven't changed the policies, like then Labor did. Yeah. Then you didn't... Like, how does that make any sense? Like, he's, he's like, oh, I have did this. 
but I didn't change anything. But I made it. <laughs> like, what's so, so you're right, that does extrapolate out. It extrapolates that if Labour put this policy in and the boats have stopped and you didn't change this policy, then logic sort of says that it's actually Labour's policy that stopped the boats, not yours. Yeah. Uh, although, of course, all of those are also yes. lies because... It's uh, also his, the way he says things like, it's simple math. Well, it's not simple math. First of all, our medical system, again, isn't that fragile. Well, although, also, isn't he arguing also, effectively that um, private medical care... If you want to write, if Morrison's right and that the public health system is so finely balanced... Then basically, what he's saying is that every time that somebody has private health care, they're taking a place from a poor person. Go on, run that no, at the wait, election Or campaign. is he saying that every time someone has private health care, they're helping the public system no, no, because no. they're clearing out a spot? No, 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 no. Because they use when they, every time somebody with private health care ju- jumps the queue in a public hospital, they're kicking somebody on the street. Weirdly, I've never seen Scott Morrison out there campaigning against private health on the basis that it's kicking public, uh, people off the public system, making people wait longer, which, which it does. That one actually does happen. They specifically take people off the public waiting lists to put in private patients. Like, that happens but all the time, but I think Scott They also keep that. a certain number of spaces. So, for example, they keep spaces for emergency pa- pa- patients yes. and emergency cases. One of the issues we had when I had my recent C-section was getting our booked appointment date because of the fact that there were a bunch of people that needed to have them and they had open spaces, but those open spaces were for emergencies because people come in in labor and they need to have a C-section. So they have to have a certain number of operating spaces left open to ensure that they're able to cater to that if emergencies happen. So they just can't book up every day, the whole day. And this happens throughout the medical industry. So there are places for emergencies. And if someone is coming for critical care, that is an emergency. That is an emergency. Yes. They would use those spaces. They make it work. Like, these things happen. Yes. And and frankly, if you're running the system so badly that there isn't that much fat in it, given, given the slight rate of population growth, just that alone, like, then you aren't doing your job. You have Look, done an appalling job and you are admitting it publicly. There's not a lot of fat in the system. And it is one of the issues with the system, especially the public health system. There's not a lot of fat. It is run very close to the bone. There's not a lot of nursing stuff there. But and there is queue jumping. And the queue jumping is private patients kicking off non-urgent. So I, I remember I, I remember back, and I'm sure I've mentioned this on, on this podcast or on something wonky before, back when I was used to do legal aid crime. And I had a client who, from court mention to court mention, they were still waiting to adjust his arm, which was literally off at the shoulder. Like, you could see it. His arm was off at the shoulder. But it wasn't apparently urgent enough. And he kept being bumped for private patients. Like, he'd go That's in there, they'd prep him for surgery, and then, like, he'd be sitting in there, and they'd be like, nah, there's something, somebody who gets it first. Oh, that's horrifying. Yeah. I mean, that um, was only in the, what, uh, early 2000s. It's not that long ago. Yeah, wow. But anyway, fun- fundamentally, the system should have enough fat that it can deal with a couple of hundred people coming in needing medical care. And also, if you hadn't been doing it so incompetently and stopping them getting there, A, they wouldn't have reached the level of severity if you let it happen mm. as, they, as they needed it, and B, they wouldn't all be coming at once. Well, that's exactly it, too. It is a big influx. I find it also very disingenuous. Oh, well, they've been coming here for care. Yeah, they have been coming here for care after court challenges. Yeah, because you've been trying to stop them. Yes, after the government has spent an immense amount of money fighting them coming here in court every single time. And as for the medical facilities available on Nauru, the Brunel regime, the people, when they need medical care, they don't have it done on Nauru. They fly somewhere else, even though... The flight, you know, if you're sick, a big flight is not necessarily the best way that you want to uh, have to travel to get surgery and treatment. And yet they do it. And the reason is because the facilities are not there. Well, and it's the same thing with Christmas Island. And it's what we discussed last week. That Christmas Island you doesn't have the facilities for people to give birth, for goodness sakes. And fundamentally, if anybody's trying to play off refugees versus uh, the needs of the public health system, 
an easy way to improve the public health system would be to stop spending billions of dollars persecuting these refugees. Like, that money could... Instead wow. of persecuting them on remote hellholes, you could uh, Invest have them money. here, put that money into the public health system. Now, if anybody's angry about the idea of refugee of the public health system being uh, dismantled for, as, as the Herald Sun political editor calls them, refos, uh, the people who you should be angry with are the federal government that's taking all that money out to persecute refugees. They're not doing it to be kind to refugees. No. You can be kind to refugees for a fraction of the cost. Yeah, and they're not doing it to protect us. So those are the two big things. And, and in terms of the reason why I don't think, and let, let's tie these up, uh, we do have to we play the stuck in my crawl because Jeremy Foxen uh, has returned to tell us what's stuck in his crawl, which is uh, what's also been going on while all of this noise is happening, particularly the Pell noise, which has been drowning everything out. Uh, we do have a, a Senate inquiry, Senate um, estimates and so looking into Parents Next uh, and some of the horrible uh, anti poor people policies that this government has. And Jeremy will speak about those in just a sec. But before we leave that, before we, before we do that, the reason why I think this isn't working for them is that. People can see that the, the ALP has done every, done everything in their power to have no sunlight between them and the coalition on anything other on yeah we'll treat them and then send them back. And it's such mm. a minor thing that no matter how many times Scott Morrison screams out there that that um, Bill Shorten has uh, ended offshore detention, the, the ALP has been in lockstep with the Libs for long enough now that they just it's just a, it just doesn't come. Up. I think they've said they've, I think they've exaggerated and. Uh, pushed it one step too hard one too many times and now people have just switched off and they just don't believe them. Well, I, I personally think that people aren't believing them because Scott Morrison didn't say it was a fair dinkum policy. Um, <laughs> okay. I'll drop in the little audio of him talking about this fair dinkum, fair dinkum, fair dinkum snowy thing. <laughs> it doesn't get more fair dinkum than this. This well, is fair dinkum. Us, 100%. Fair dinkum. Oh. Anyway, what I really think is, it's a hard sell anyway. It's a hard sell that we need to be keeping children there. It's a hard sell that we need to be keeping really sick people there to not get treatment that they need. Um, It's a hard sell that we're going to be sending these really sick people to somewhere like Christmas Island with medical assistance on a flight all the way across Australia to the Indian Ocean before getting them the actual treatment. All of these things are that few steps too far. Like they keep trying and people don't forget. And people don't forget that as much as he's that Dutton and everyone's up there saying, oh, we got the last four kids off. Well, you were promising us you were going to get the kids off before Christmas and it's March. But you must have been telling us that you are, you've got a ring of steel around the country and stopping them coming. So like, I think people are also like, and we're talking out here about the people who want this cruelty to refugees. Mm. Uh, and just don't want them coming. The, Zemmer, the people for, to whom the policy appealed in the first place. Well, it's interesting. Get up did a poll a couple about a week and a half ago that, uh, and they did it in uh, Dutton's electorate and Abbott's electorate, and they were polling people's thoughts on the medevac bill and refugees and things like that. And what they found was that between senior, among seniors, especially senior women, in these very sort of like white affluent areas, people were very in favor of this medevac bill they're very in favor of people it was like 60 percent of the people were in favor of getting them here to treat them yes send them back but these are in these electorates where you know abedin doesn't need these votes well also that um if you're if you're a rich person in australia at the moment the gap between rich and poor keeps widening and you are so comfortable that it probably isn't frightening you Mm. the people that the libs think that they can pitch to 
other people who are being screwed down the bottom and people with low wages growth people being screwed with you know they're, they're running trying to run this thing simultaneously that your, your uh, the house prices are going to fall but rents are going to go up ah. like that makes any sense they're trying to hit people's fear points but because people are being screwed uh, and know they're being screwed right now and they are also believing that the government stopped the boats like five or six years ago and yet they're still being screwed refugees are not their, the people they're blaming. No. You know, it's, like it's hard to go, yeah, the refugees are the people who are screwing me here when the government's whole line is, no, no, we've been really tough and get them away. Yeah. So why am I doing so badly then? Yeah, and so and why are we grinding these people into the dirt so yeah. hard? Because there's a point where it does just seem like cruelty. We're not allowing people to go to New Zealand. We're not allowing people to resettle here. We're not allowing any of these other options that keep coming up. Just you can't like say cruelty. You've, yeah, you can't say you've solved a problem but then keep blaming it. Yeah. So this this is what caused all those things. We've solved it. Hang on, we're still suffering from these things. No, no, we solved it. Like it's a, you, there's no way to make that work. I think I think that's probably the main reason why it isn't sticking because people realise the libs don't have any realistic plan to improve wages. People, in fact, I think you're beginning to see that the liberals' um, general IR settings that have basically weakened uh, weakened workers' ability to bargain mm. are clearly linked to low wage growth and pe- i think people are ready for a bit of uh bolshy union pushing back improving their wages stuff and i even, hope so even the people who will after you know three or six years of a labor government start going oh no, the unions have gone too far if they do anything or if there's any strikes or if there's any inconvenience i think at the moment people are um have had enough of this set of policy settings and being screwed by it. Well, and I was noticing just before I went on uh, parental leave in December that there was um, an ad campaign. I would have the work car and be driving in and Triple M would be on just the radio and they had this ad campaign on. That was the unions campaigning about wage growth. Yeah. And it was very much um, a very much going for at laborers, going at people who are um, skilled or unskilled laborers, going people working in service industries. It was basically saying, like, your your wages aren't growing, your penalty rates are being cut. Like, and that will hit people because yeah. that's, that's what genuinely makes a difference to your day-to-day yeah. and hit, hit pocket, which is when people are just voting on the hit pocket, that, that's... Yeah. And they and talk about helping the average person, but they vote time after time to cut penalty rates. Well, they voted once to cut penalty rates. Well, yeah. But they vote to cap them and they vote to not allow various things. Like, it just... Well, the thing is that Labor can campaign that on the basis of... The news can campaign on the basis that they are out there to imp- increase wages growth. Whereas the Libs can't because their base is employers mm. and they're not out there campaigning for wage growth. All they say is hey, look, if we give all this stuff to the employers, then wages growth must follow. And so, so you know, your your prospects are subject to your employer getting a whole lot of cash and then feeling like sharing some with you. And that's exactly what I think that's one of the things these ads were targeting. They were saying, you know, my boss got a big bonus last year. My boss got a tax break last year. The company I work for, you know, they made record profits. I haven't seen a raise in two years. You know, I haven't seen a raise in five years. And that that's exactly what they were targeting. Now, I think that I think that the boats are still going to be a winner for the Conservatives in the future because mm-hmm. fundamentally there is a strong strain of xenophobia. Labor has run uh, for cover on the issue and has basically covered most of their lines. Mm-hmm. So all of this crap about you know, no, no, it's humane to force them to stay in hell camps where they have no rights, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know, oh, it's important to do this to, to stop deaths. 
and that uh, they, they, you know, it's, it's there's something immoral about helping some you know, people smugglers. Uh, like, it's still the demon thing. Like, the justification is because we've got to smash the people smugglers. Why? Like, we should be smashing people who run unsafe boats, but as we noticed, apparently they're all safe because yeah. they're, they're all seaworthy enough to drag back to sea. Uh, like, the idea that a people smuggler is like a cartoonish supervillain, like like a terrorist or something. Like yeah. Um, but the problem is Labor's run all these things for them. And so... If there ever is any kind of humane movement on the subject, so if we stop dragging them back to sea, if we ha- give them visas to come by air, if we do any of the things that a humane government mm. would do, um, Labor's going to have to do something about the people who are still stuck on Madison Arrow because they're still there. Yep. Labor's going to have to let them out at some point. Like, Well, they can keep being monsters or they'll be forced to let them out. Um, and at that point, then the Conservatives can scream about people coming here and... Yes. and um, but I think Labor will keep doing. But now that now that the Libs have given them cover to do boat turnbacks, I think Labor will just keep doing it, and they'll keep doing. They'll keep claiming on water matters, so they don't have to tell us. So I, you know, you know what? Unless we on the left are successful in actually forcing Labor to be compassionate, the issue might be dead if they can keep. I mean, it's not dead. It's the most monstrous thing, and we will keep fighting it until mm. it stops because Australia should be better than that. But until we succeed in changing the numbers in Parliament and getting that overthrown. It probably is a dead issue because Labor are just going to drag boats back to sea. Yep. They will. All the funding's all in there for this ring of steel bullshit. Um, we just won't hear about it. It'll be yeah. all on water matters. They won't make the mistake of before of being open and transparent about it. So the upshot will be that the Libs will have um, screwed themselves out of it by showing Labor how to cover it up. Yeah. Um, if they had been more transparent about it, but just as cruel. They might have been able to set that in place in such a way that Labor then was faced with the real problem of being either seen to be that cruel or having to be obviously not doing that anymore. But the, yeah, I think the Libs, by trying to do all, trying to have all sides of the argument, have kind of let Labor have all sides of the argument as well. Yeah, which is depressing because profound, what that means is that we're going to keep being one of the most monstrous countries in the world that treats refugees with the kind of contempt like again there's a reason we have a refugee convention it's because we recognised after the second world war that we shouldn't have been taking people back to the countries where they were going to be murdered yes. and we were like we won't do that again and now we're doing that exactly and it's horrible and so you know Aussie 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 <laughs> don't vote for either the ALP or the Libs this is one, one more reason to vote for the Greens and here's another reason why at this election it's important to vote for the Greens and preference Labour it still helps kick out the Libs it's no weaker I'm assuming everybody listening to this podcast knows full well how preference voting works and knows that a one Green two Labour vote is just as good at kicking out the libs as a one Labor vote. In fact, it's better because it tells Labor that you're from the progressive side. So here's Jeremy discussing what's been happening in the social security space over the week, which admittedly does make for some grim listening. So this week was the uh, Senate inquiry into the Parents Next program, which I've just uh, come out of hearing from a bunch of single parents, mainly single mothers, a lot of whom have been fleeing uh, abusive relationships, domestic violence, and our government, instead of providing them any kind of unconditional support, maybe, uh, they've instead uh, chosen to funnel them into uh, what is essentially a work-for-the-doll program that is forcing uh, single mums, who are some of the most time-poor and hard-working people, in the country into pointless, humiliating activities uh, to justify, in scare quotes, their receipt of Social Security. 
Um, you know, every week there seems to be something uh, stuck in my craw uh, in the social security space, but that, you know, entails uh, the government's continued uh, violation of social security recipients' human rights and their continued attack uh, on our nation's poor. You know, this same week we've also been dealing with uh, the information that's come out uh, about the impact robo-debt is happening, is having on lives. So we've heard that robo-debt has, uh, you know, led to at least indirectly uh, over 2,000 Australians taking their lives. Uh, and when asked for comment, our human services minister, you know, as you might expect, uh, refused to take any responsibility um, for that, for this as a national tragedy. He fronted the media and basically said that because the average uh, time between people receiving a robo-debt and people taking their lives, because that time was on average, he said, over 200 days, uh, that absolves the government of any responsibility and no link can be proven, supposedly. If this wasn't bad enough in the social security space, we're still, we're still hearing stories every week, every day, from work for the doll participants stuck out in outdoor laboring sites, in punishing conditions, burning hot conditions, doing essentially forced labor, some of whom for 50 hours a fortnight for $10 a week. It's only February, folks, and I'm already exhausted at the absolute barrage of assault uh, this Liberal national government is inflicting on unemployed Australians. I can't fathom how big an aneurysm I may have in a few months when I see Scott Morrison and, and Josh Frydenberg uh, announcing their upcoming uh, budget surplus uh, with giant grins spread over their faces, because I'll know and will know that this surplus has been built off the back of unemployed Australians who uh, we're keeping on entitlements that are $350 per fortnight below the poverty line. That's probably enough. I could go on about other things stuck in my craw, but let's try and talk about something hopeful. The only thing I'm clinging to uh, is that this Liberal national government uh, will be eradicated shortly and I, I can allow myself a few seconds of joy and hope at the prospect before I remember what the alternative is and who will be coming into power uh, once we get rid of the Liberal National Party. And of course, that is a Labour Party that is refusing to commit to an immediate raise to New Start, is refusing to end the Work for the Door program, that is refusing broadly to tackle the kind of structural inequality that's keeping hundreds and thousands of Australians struggling to make ends meet. So that's what stuck in my craw uh, this week and, and every other week, the abject refusal of leaders of both sides of politics to actually advocate for uh, and enact a dignified social security system for all. The fact that they're sending people out for work for the doll, so um, do this or stuff to death, uh, by sending people out to do manual labour in hot conditions, like I'm... I'm 
I'm struggling to record this podcast in this room, uh, having to turn the air conditioning off while we record it. And I'm feeling we're, doing, we're working hard here, but I'm not being forced to do this. To, we're or, sitting or at a table. Um, yeah. And what makes it worse is they're not actually covered by work cover. So <laughs> if you hurt yourself while you're out doing work for the dole, you're just fucked. And we've talked to you in the pre- last uh, couple of episodes about why parents next is an abomination. The idea that you like, no, parents, single parents, you've, you you don't have enough to do. So uh, you must take your children to this program that some arbitrary public servant has decided is right for your child. And that any <laughs> assessment of whether it actually is or not. Like, there are so many examples of bonkers things that people are being forced to do or starve to death because that's what really helps the child if the parent has to starve, starve them because they, don't, they have them, their funds cut off. Well, and it's interesting because uh, Kelly O'Dwyer has apparently come back after these Senate uh, things and said that she's not going to change the program. The program works and it's on the right track. But what she is going to do is look into providers to make sure that they're doing the right thing and they're not making people fill out too many forms. They're going to make sure there's appropriate activity. But the idea behind the program is the right one. Oh, forcing people to do random busy work shit because they're not busy enough as single parents living in absolute poverty. <sighs> look, that's just what rich people get to do. Right, so uh, time to kick that government out. Time to make sure that Labor has as little uh, ability to just do more evil shit on its own as possible by making sure we have as many Greens in there as possible. Uh, and hopefully, uh, and, and I doubt very much that this will be a hung parliament. I think this will be a, a very much a Labor majority. But the uh, stronger the Greens are at the end of this election, the stronger they'll be for the second one. Uh, and hopefully then they'll be able to force the uh, ALP to work with them to get legislation through. And we can hopefully uh, have some pressure put to end you know, work for the doll, which is an absurd idea. Oh, it's obscene. Uh, end this, uh, this, and, this work for parenting payment crap. Yeah, and also like things like the end the the for-profit job providers, which are paid to by how many interviews and how many people they get oh, into jobs. Like, force the ALP to um, make sure that new start is actually at a subsistence level at least. Yeah. It shouldn't, I mean, subsistence is, is just subsistence, but it, should never, it shouldn't be it should, below that. Yeah, like, it should never be below... It should never be anything that takes you below the poverty level. No. No. And that's Particularly still... in a country where there aren't enough jobs to go around. Like, yeah, why well, are we punishing enough... people for being unemployed when we have a... Always... There is always... If an unemployed person somehow manages to get a job, somebody else will not have that job. Like, we have a pool of people who are forced to be unemployed because there aren't enough jobs. Like, when you say to any individual, well, you should, you know, be climbing on that other unemployed person's uh, back, you know, head to to climb out of the crocodile pit. Absolutely. Like, that doesn't mean... Like... Well, and that doesn't even take into consideration then the underemployed people, people who do have jobs, but they're part-time, they're seasonal, there's all sorts of issues. All right, Jeremy is right to be angry. So Jeremy uh, was from the Unemployed Workers' Union. We, um, he was the guest host uh, two episodes back and uh, very much worth having a listen to that episode and the, the detail that, that we're going to. It's a really good on. episode. Um, and but, I think he's going to be coming back before the election for another chat. Quite possibly. So... I think that we might leave it there because it's been a bit of a bumper episode. Uh, we didn't get to the IPA thing again, which I was going to try and sort of squeeze in and make it fit because it kind of fit the whole idea of them trying to sell this stuff and not, the public is not buying it now. Uh, but no, we've had enough of this episode. It's, we've, we've got into a whole lot of really depressing things. And I'd like to say thank you, the listener, for being willing to endure horror to be in a position to hopefully fight against it a bit better. 
Maybe? Maybe there was a point to going through the There must have been a point of going through the horror. Why would we have gone through it if we, there was no point to it? We certainly didn't do it to just like wallow in it for the fun of it. <laughs> Definitely not. I think there is a point to uh, deconstructing some of this stuff and considering it and considering the various aspects of the situation. And it is always moving. So since we recorded the stuff about Pell, the appeal papers got released. So we've now uh, heard that, that one of the things he's going to try and argue is that uh, he didn't get a fair trial because... Uh, he wasn't arraigned in front of the jury. So what he wanted to be able to do was to say, I, Cardinal Pell, am not guilty. And, and be heard saying he was not guilty. I plead not guilty. So the jury would hear him and see what an honest, upstanding person he was. Uh, a lively conversationalist. Yes. Without him having to give evidence, because he obviously didn't want to give evidence, and you have a perfect right not to give evidence in your own defence. Uh, and But they, they're like, we wanted a way of him... Being able to seem cool and nice and believable without him actually having to go in the witness box and be cross-examined. Uh, so we'd like them to have that impression. Anyway, so apparently one of their grounds of appeal is that, that technically the procedure is he should have been arraigned in front of the jury, and he wasn't. So therefore, the whole thing's a sham. And therefore, <laughs> therefore there should be, what, another trial? The charges should be dropped? Who knows? Oh, anyway, yes. that's... So anyway, this, the space is constantly in, in flux. But uh, the, the horror of what we're doing to refugees is not in flux and sounds like it'll lock down even more permanently uh, unless, we, unless we get more greens in. Um, and it sounds like I don't think they're going to get anywhere. With, with, uh, I, it just does not seem to me that Pell's going to be acquitted on appeal. I think, I think that we're going to get a bunch of right-wingers who are going to really embarrass themselves by tying themselves to this. But the one that they really should be embarrassed about more, hope, more than any of them is grinding the poor into the good dirt. And it looks like... That ain't changing at all. That one looks like we'll be able to talk about it, sadly, more and more Hooray. on future episodes. Um, I would perfectly... You know that thing where they're like, you know, lefty comedians really need the conservatives in government because they, you know, it gives them so much material. Uh, you know, lefty podcasters, you know, what would we fight against? I would happily not be doing this podcast oh, if we didn't need to. You know what? It's, uh, it, it, it's a silly thing to say because there's always injustice and things to fight against. There's always stuff to talk about. But I'd be perfectly happy to if lose the podcast yeah. in exchange for there being much less of it. Yes. Thank you, Denise, for coming back and recording another episode with me. Uh, thank you very much to our listeners for coming back. Thank you to our Patreon subscribers most of all for how the podcast keeps going. Otherwise, uh, if you leave a positive review on iTunes, that also helps. And we will otherwise be back uh, later in the week or early next week. Have a good week. See you then.